Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn Dewar and this is the story of Bridget Cleary. As part of Women's History Month, we looked at the story of Alice Morton's divorce case and the whole issue of criminal conversation trials in the last episode. This week, I want to look at a very different aspect of women's history in the story of Bridget Cleary. Cleary is often labelled as the last witch burned in Ireland, but this is a crass simplification about what happened to this woman in 1895. The story you're about to hear happened just over 125 years ago, which in many ways makes it all the more unbelievable. I originally made an episode on Bridget's life that was number 85 all the way back in 2016. Now seven years later I took a re-listen to it and I decided that it would be worth rewriting parts of the episode and doing a whole new re-record. Bridget's story is fascinating. It reveals some of the challenges Irish women faced in the later 19th century. While a new century approached, society also stood at a crossroads, offering women new opportunities. But as you're about to hear, older, often deadly traditions died hard. In terms of sources used in this episode, along with the usual newspaper articles, archival sources, I want to also say that I found the book The Burning of Bridget Cleary by Angela Burke, really great. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. If you want to find out more about the case, I would recommend Angela Burke's book. Sound on the episode is by Kate Dunley. By the 1890s, Irish communities formed major populations across the English-speaking world. In Australia, America and Canada, not to mention Britain, millions who couldn't afford to return home never forgot about the country of their birth and paid a keen interest to events taking place back in Ireland. In a world without the internet, television or even radio, the only source of information were newspapers and these were the closest thing you could get to -to up-to-date news. While these had once been months behind events taking place back in Ireland, the invention of international telegrams in the later 19th century enabled emigrants all over the world to access almost immediate news that was taking place in Ireland around the globe. 
These emigrants could trawl through the inky columns looking for stories that told them about events that had taken place in their own communities perhaps only days or sometimes weeks earlier. They might even on occasion spot a mention of a familiar place in their home county or even parish. Now in April 1895, Irish emigrants the world over read a story that defied belief. Newspapers from as far apart as the Sydney Morning Herald in Australia to the New York Times in the United States were carrying details of a strange, unsettling, even ritualistic murder that had taken place in Ireland. Nine people had reportedly been arrested for a brutal homicide at a place being called Ballyvallis in County Tipperary. The early reports were scant on detail, but nevertheless gruesome. The nine who had been arrested had supposedly roasted a woman called Bridget Cleary alive. Manny claimed she had suffered this horrific fate in an effort to make her admit that she was a witch. Such a story seemed fanciful, even in the 19th century. Tipperary by the 1890s was not a remote forgotten corner of Ireland. Undoubtedly, many who read the initial reports were sceptical and those with an intimate knowledge of Tipperary geography could also point out one major inconsistency in the reports. There was no such place called Ballyvallis. However, while it would take several weeks for more details to emerge, by early May 1895, there was no denying that something dreadful had taken place in rural County Tipperary on a dark March night two months earlier. The vague reports of previous weeks were pinned down with details by May that made the case undeniable. The non-existing location of Ballyvallis had been dropped from reports and replaced by a place called Ballyvadley, a townland not too far from the town of Clonmel in South Tipperary. The reports of May 1895 also contained a list of names of those who had been arrested. The main perpetrator of the crime was said to be Michael Cleary, the husband of Bridget, the woman who had died. However, one aspect still seemed scarcely credible. The reports still maintained that she had been burned as a witch. To many, this surely seemed scarcely credible. Through the 19th century, Irish society at all levels had embraced learning and education. Literacy marched forward with well over half the population able to read and write by the 1890s. Furthermore, the Catholic Church had become immensely powerful and while it had once been to the fore of accusations of witchcraft, by the late 19th century it held such ideas as superstitions that needed to be eradicated. However, when the full details about what had happened in Tipperary eventually seeped out, it emerged as a complex yet deeply disturbing case. Bridget Cleary had indeed been burned. However, her killers had not believed she was a witch in the traditional sense of the word. They had, however, believed the murdered woman, who many of them had known their entire lives, was in fact a demon of sorts. In 1895, the woman at the centre of this case, Bridget Cleary, was 26 years old. In her native community, she was still known to many by her maiden name, Bridget Boland. While a faded picture of Bridget survives to this day, which you can see in the image associated with the podcast, a contemporary report described her as being of middling height, perhaps brownish hair, blue eyes and regular features. A 
and it concluded with the remark that Bridget was a pretty woman. While Bridget was raised in rural county Tipperary, her home in Ballyvadley was neither remote nor that isolated. The sizeable town of Feathered was only four miles away, while Clonmel, home to some 10,000 people, was only about 15 miles away. Born in the late 1860s, Bridget's formative years were ones of great change. There's no doubt that the legacy of the great hunger of the 1840s still lingered on in these decades. I frequently mentioned this legacy over various episodes, but the impact the catastrophe had on Irish society in the late 19th century was incalculable and would have remained a feature of Bridget's life. For example, emigration was having a devastating impact on rural Ireland. In 1851, there had been 112 people living in her community of Ballyvadley, but by 1901, this had fallen to 59 because of emigration. However, all that said, the Ireland Bridget grew up in was not a society anchored in the past. While there were communities, particularly in the remote West, where life had changed little in the decades after the famine, much of Irish society was modernising rapidly by the 1890s. Technological advances were evident right across the country. Indeed, Bridget Cleary herself was someone who embraced this change and took full advantage of it as she became an adult. In the late 1880s, Bridget had left Ballyvadley and moved to the nearby town of Clamell, where she trained as a dressmaker. On completing that course, she returned home with a state-of-the-art Singer sewing machine, the latest technology in the field, and this allowed her to establish her own business. This business would give Bridget economic independence from the men in her life, which, for previous generations of Irish women, would have been much more difficult. Her father would later even admit that it was Bridget who supported her family. However, while Irish society was modernising, it wasn't a cut and dried break with the past. History doesn't really work that way. Old ideas, sometimes stretching back centuries, if not longer, don't relinquish their hold on society easily. In many Irish communities, this could be seen in the persistence of religious beliefs that played an important role in day-to-day life. For example, a belief in fairies was still commonplace. The fairies, or good people, as they were sometimes referred to, were magical beings that lived beneath the earth. Now the depth of belief in these ideas varied from community to community and from person to person, but they manifested themselves in lots of aspects of daily life, not least healthcare. Many people in Ireland in the 1890s still used what were called fairy doctors, essentially healers of a kind who would frequently invoke the supernatural to help cure an illness. Now fairy doctors were a broad group of people that encapsulated everything from those who might use natural remedies that could have an impact to others who are nothing more than quacks. However, they would have shared a belief that the supernatural had a role to play in healthcare. While frequently harmless, if ineffective a lot of the time, there was some aspects of these beliefs that were potentially very, very dangerous. Some fairy doctors were liable to claim that a person who developed inexplicable mental or physical illnesses was in fact a changeling. Basically, a fairy who had effectively taken the place of an ill person. While, as I've said, these beliefs were generally pretty harmless, this wasn't always the case and this would have been something Bridget Cleary was probably aware of. 
1850, in her own native Tipperary, a child, Mary Ann Kelly, had been killed after a fairy doctor claimed she was a changeling. Kelly had been born into a well-off family in the town of Roscray, in the north of the county. Partially paralysed and suffering from mental illness, her mother had consulted a certain Miss Peters, a local fairy doctor in the town, to cure her daughter's conditions. Peters stated the child was in fact a changeling, claiming the fairies had abducted the real Marianne. Peters then set about supposedly saving Marianne by purging the changeling from her body. This invoked giving the child large quantities of a tincture made from the flower foxglove. This was extremely poisonous, inducing chronic vomiting and diarrhoea. She gave further instructions that Marianne was to be stripped naked and left on a dunghill. That's a heap of animal excrement after the tonic had been administered. The trauma of this experience of foxglove poisoning combined with exposure ultimately killed the child. Now such instances, it should be said, were rare. Most of those who believed in changelings held that no physical harm should be visited on the body. Now while these ideas lingered on, as Bridget Cleary grew up in the 1870s and the 1880s, they were losing traction. On a spiritual level, the increasingly powerful Catholic Church had been condemning such beliefs. Meanwhile, the societal change that followed in the aftermath of the Great Hunger meant that the society where these beliefs had taken root no longer existed in the way it once had. These changes, however, did not come fast enough for Bridget Cleary. While the changing nature of society was the backdrop to Bridget Cleary's life, on a personal level, by the 1880s, she was beginning to turn her mind to marriage. After she had completed her training as a dressmaker, she returned home to Ballyvadley and began a courtship with a man called Michael Cleary who was considered by most to be quiet and unassuming. In the local community, Michael was a man with prospects. He was a skilled cooper who made wooden barrels for a living, meaning Cleary would always be able to find work, given wooden barrels were the 19th century equivalent of modern shipping containers. While the couple married in 1889 and enjoyed a level of economic security that proved elusive to many of their neighbours, the two did raise the eyebrows of many in the community. Despite being married, they spent most of their time apart in the first few years. Bridget moved back to the cottage where her father lived in Ballyvadley, while Michael remained working in Clonmel, only visiting at weekends. Furthermore, Bridget, as we have seen, was financially independent of her husband, something that challenged the traditional idea of male dominance in relationships. Eventually, Michael Cleary would move back to live with his wife in Ballyvadley, but for one reason or another, the couple didn't start a family. The reasons for this are unclear, but in a society where the success of a marriage was measured on how large the couple's family were, this was yet another fact that marked Bridget Cleary apart. The lack of a family also fueled rumours in the community that both Michael and Bridget were having extramarital affairs. According to Bridget's cousin Joanna and her uncle Richard, Michael Cleary had been having an affair in Clonmel, while there were also rumours that Bridget was seeing a man in Ballyvadley called William Simpson. There is no proof that either of these claims were anything more than idle gossip. Indeed, in spite of the rumours circulating about them, when people reflected back on their marriage in their early years at least, there was a general consensus that Bridget and Michael seemed happy enough. 
This would all change in March 1895. Dramatic events that would lead to Bridget Cleary's unwanted place in Irish history began in completely innocuous circumstances on March 4th, 1895. Cleary called to the house of a distant relative, her father's cousin Jack Dunn, to deliver him eggs. On arriving at Dunn's household, Bridget found there was no one home and she decided to wait until someone returned. As she stood outside the Dunn house, she got caught in a heavy downpour of rain and was soaked thoroughly. In the following days, this led to a cold and then subsequently bronchitis. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As Bridget was ill in the week following March 4th, the Cleary house saw dozens of people call to visit her. There was no sense at this point that anything was out of the ordinary. Among the visitors, however, was her father's first cousin, Jack Dunn, the man to whom she had been delivering eggs on March 4th. Now, Dunn was a man in his mid-50s and was of a very different generation to Bridget Cleary. He was deeply superstitious and would become a central figure in the events that would transpire in the Cleary household. When he visited Bridget, he did not seem remotely sympathetic to her plight. Indeed, he would utter what proved to be fatal words when he looked at her and then said, That's not Bridgie Boland. Boland being Bridget's maiden name. These odd words would have dire consequences for Bridget. Jack Dunn was insinuating that Bridget Cleary was in fact a changeling. Her sickness, Dunn was claiming, could be explained by the fact that the real Bridget had been taken by the fairies. His assertion sowed the seeds of an idea which would gain traction in the following days when Bridget failed to recover. On March 9th, as her illness lingered, her husband Michael and her father decided she required the attention of a local medical doctor. Her father walked into the nearby town of Feathered, but even though the doctor agreed to call on Bridget, he failed to turn up. Two days later, Michael Cleary, Bridget's husband, increasingly concerned about his wife, walked into Feathered to pressure the doctor into coming to see her. Despite this persistence, the doctor still failed to show. On Wednesday, March 13th, with Bridget still ill, Michael again walked to Feathered to try and get the doctor to visit his wife in their home. He also sent word for a local priest to visit her as well. Now, summoning the priest would indicate Michael was, at least, somewhat concerned that Bridget may have been gravely ill. On this occasion, his efforts to get the doctor to visit Bridget finally paid off. 
However, when he visited the house, he noted Bridget was of a very nervous disposition, but she was only suffering from mild bronchitis. Similarly, the priest was not immediately concerned about Bridget's health or welfare. However, he made what would prove to be an ill-considered move when he administered the last rites to Bridget as a precautionary measure. Now, last rites, as the name suggests, is a right Catholics receive on their deathbed, but this added what was a needless sense of urgency to the situation in the Cleary household. Bridget wasn't dying. No one thought she was. It was at this point that Michael Cleary, Bridget's husband, was beginning to appear in the record as an increasingly volatile person. His faith in the mainstream solutions of late 19th century Ireland, the medical doctor and the Catholic priest, were waning, and even before he had returned from the town of Feathered on the third time of visiting to get the doctor to call to the house, he had begun to look for alternative solutions. While in Feathered, he had met a fairy doctor who had given him a herbal remedy for Bridget. It was also at this point that Bridget's superstitious relation, Jack Dunn, who had already claimed she was a changeling, began to exert pressure on Michael Cleary. He insisted that Cleary should seek the help of another fairy doctor, a local man called Dennis Ganny, about his wife's condition. So it was on Thursday, March 14th, this is now 10 days after Bridget had fallen ill, that Michael Cleary followed this course of action. What the exact nature of the conversation that took place between Michael Cleary and Dennis Ganny, the fairy doctor was, is unclear, but it seems to have helped to shift Michael Cleary's understanding of Bridget's illness from a medical problem to a spiritual one. The fairy doctor also gave Cleary more herbs, with the instruction to boil them in milk and give them to Bridget. That evening, when Michael Cleary attempted to give this potion to his wife, the situation in the house turned violent. On March 14th, 1895, Michael Cleary returned home with a herbal remedy the fairy doctor, Dennis Ganny, had given him for his wife, Bridget. While he was preparing the potion, word reached the Cleary house that Michael's father had died that very day. For Michael Cleary, who was increasingly believing that a supernatural force was in his own house, this was undoubtedly interpreted as an ill omen. He became determined Bridget would take the herbs the fairy doctor had given him. That evening, a large crowd of neighbours assembled in the Cleary house, including Bridget's father, Patrick, her aunt, two first cousins and three other local men. Over the course of the following hours of darkness, they would help Michael Cleary perform what can only be described as a violent ritual on Bridget. Cleary began by trying to administer what was the very unpleasant herbal potion to his wife. Under the fairy doctor's instructions, he had to boil the herbs in milk, which produced a bitter drink. Understandably, Bridget Cleary was reluctant to swallow the vile mixture. When she resisted, her husband began to force her violently. All the while, her own extended family watched on. When Bridget continued to resist, a hot poker, an item according to superstition the fairies hated, was brought from the fire to make her acquiesce. Witnesses later admitted they heard Michael Cleary shout and scream abuse at Bridget. They also saw Bridget pinned to a bed by two men, one of whom was her cousin. One held her arms, the other her ears, while she was forced to drink the concoction. 
in a highly degrading aspect of the ritual, a mixture of urine, water and hen's excrement was also thrown over her. This supposedly helped drive out the changeling, it was claimed, had taken Bridget. The scene unfolding in the house was a bizarre mix of pagan and Christian rituals. Michael Cleary paced around, making the sign of the cross while simultaneously making pagan charms to defend against the fairies. The ritual continued late into the evening with Bridget continually being asked, Are you the daughter of Patrick Boland? Alluding to the fact they believed her to be a changeling. Then the ritual adopted a Christian veneer when they demanded she answer in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Ghost. Bridget, sick as she was, could not satisfy her accusers. Even when she answered them telling them what they wanted to hear, they only became increasingly aggressive. Michael Cleary repeatedly shook her saying, Away with you, away with you. Come home, Bridget Cleary, in the name of God. It was during this part of the assault, increasingly reminiscent of a witch trial of old, that Jack Dunn, Bridget's cousin, emerged as a particularly sinister character when he said, Make a good fire and we'll make her answer. The implication, clearly, was that they were to torture Bridget to make her give the answers they wanted to hear. Bridget was then brought from her bedroom to the kitchen and she was held close to the fire in what seems to have been a threatening gesture. This continued for about ten minutes as they asked again, Are you the daughter of Patrick Boland, wife of Michael Cleary? Answer in the name of God. In a tragic detail, Bridget replied to her father, who was now directing proceedings, saying, I am Dada. Several more questions were posed to Bridget before she was eventually removed and taken back to bed. While this was extremely traumatic, Bridget doesn't seem to have been physically burned on the Thursday evening, and indeed, by the end of that night, it finally seemed her ordeal was over. However, unsurprisingly, she was deeply distressed and started raving and her eyes were rolling in her head. At this point, most of those present who had witnessed the proceedings were satisfied that the supposed changing was gone. Her husband, Michael, however, was not. Although the violent assault had satisfied some of those present on that evening that the changing had been driven from Bridget, Her husband, Michael Cleary, refused to accept this. At seven o'clock on the morning after the assault, he sent for a local priest asking him to say a mass in the house. The priest agreed and while the mass took place, this failed to allay Michael Cleary's belief his wife was in fact a changeling. He was firmly at this point enthralled to the fairy doctor, Dennis Ganny. On the evening of Friday, March 15th, Bridget Cleary, unknown to herself, entered what were her final hours. She was well enough to get dressed and sit with her neighbours who again gathered in her house. The topic of the supernatural and fairies naturally arose but Bridget, no doubt at this stage extremely tired, grew quickly irritated by the conversation. She rebuked Michael Cleary but as is so often the case in witch trials her unwillingness to entertain the ludicrous assertions of her accusers was interpreted as evidence she was in fact guilty. Her husband now demanded she partake in a bizarre ritual whereby she would eat slices of bread and on each occasion answer a question as to whether she was his husband and therefore not a changeling. She did this twice but on the third time Bridget's patience ran out and she refused to continue. This would lead Michael Cleary to launch into another violent assault on his wife. 
He flung Bridget to the floor and pinned her down, putting his knee on her chest and began forcing the food into her mouth. He then ripped off her outer clothing, brandishing a piece of wood from the fire while kneeling on her. Bridget, weakened by her illness, apparently uttered the words, Give me one more chance. It was during this struggle that the flame Michael Cleary was brandishing touched the calico chemise Bridget was wearing and it quickly caught fire. However, this may well have been intentional because Michael Cleary then moved the brutal proceedings onto a whole new level. Rather than extinguish his wife's burning clothes, he grabbed a paraffin oil lamp near him and emptied the oil all over his wife. Bridget had no hope. She quickly caught fire and was consumed by the flames. These events had been watched by several people who had stood on and done nothing, but only moved to act when Bridget was set alight by her husband. However, Michael Cleary at this point resisted and tried to stop anyone intervening, claiming he was exercising a demon and shouted at Bridget's cousin who was in the house, Hold your tongue, Hannah. It's not Bridget I am burning. You'll see the change and go up the chimney. Unaided, Bridget Cleary died in her own kitchen, burned by her husband. In the aftermath, the situation in the house took a while to settle. While Cleary at times appeared to act like a man who himself was suffering from delusion, he did, however, have the presence of mind to try and cover up his crime when he forced another man who was present to help him bury Bridget's body. In the following hours and days, nothing then happened. While several people had been present and had seen the events play out, no one went to the police. Cleary's superstitious understanding of what had unfolded continued even after Bridget's death. Indeed, he would spend most of the following days with Bridget's cousin Jack Dunn at an ancient ring fort where Dennis Ganny, the fairy doctor, claimed the real Bridget would appear riding a white horse. While no one had contacted the police immediately, it was not possible something of this nature, though, could be covered up indefinitely. People would ask questions as to where Bridget was, and several people had been in the house in the preceding days. Someone would inevitably talk. Eventually, one of those who had been in the house, Bridget's cousin Hannah Burke, went to the police. Initially, she didn't give the full story as to what had happened, only saying Bridget had disappeared. However, this, along with local rumours, made the police suspicious. In the following days, they arrested everyone who had been in the Cleary house on the night in question, while a search for Bridget's body began. On March 22nd, a week after she had been murdered, her remains were discovered at the back of the house, and not long afterwards, those who had been arrested were charged. Ultimately, many of them were let go. For example, no case was ever taken against the fairy doctor Dennis Ganny. However, while he never set foot in the house on the night, he had clearly played an instrumental role. While several of those present were given shorter sentences, Michael Cleary was convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to 20 years hard labour. Meanwhile, Bridget herself was mistreated in death as she had been in life. While her father and close relatives were in prison awaiting trial for her murder, her community boycotted her funeral. No one attended, a fate usually reserved for the most detested members of a community. It fell to a few policemen using a common cart to haul her body to a cemetery for burial. The murder of Bridget Cleary stands out because it was rare in 19th century Ireland. However, she was murdered 
at a key moment in Irish history and the wider context is key to understanding why she was killed. Bridget Cleary stood out in her community as a financially independent woman who operated her own business as a dressmaker. This was significant given she lived in a conservative society and many may have perceived Bridget as a woman who was, quote-unquote, getting above her station or considered herself better than her neighbours. The animosity arising from this may not directly have led to Bridget's death, but it helps to explain why so many people tolerated the brutal treatment of a woman they had known their entire lives. Alongside this, when Bridget fell ill, she found herself the focus of what had been a once traditionally influential, superstitious, older generation in the form of her cousin Jack Dunn and the fairy doctor Dennis Ganny, whose beliefs and influence were in decline. As the historian Angela Burke has pointed out, they resented the modernisation of society where ideas they held dear were increasingly viewed with scepticism and disregard. Perhaps, in their view, the independent Bridget Cleary embodied that change and they saw her illness as an opportunity to reassert their dwindling power over people like her. None of this, however, diminishes the role of the actual killer, Bridget's husband, Michael Cleary. We'll never truly know what his specific motive was on the night in question. However, the level of violence and ferocity in the attack on Bridget would indicate he harboured resentments towards his wife. While a belief in fairies and related superstitions persisted well into the 20th century, Bridget Cleary was the last person to die at the hands of these beliefs. The declining influence and belief in these superstitions was accelerated in the 20th century as Irish society became increasingly educated and the rural communities that sustained these traditions were hollowed out by emigration and in the case of fairy doctors, medical science, which proved itself far more effective. That's it for this episode, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, I'm back with an interview with Leanne and Elaine, the team from the Bad Bridget podcast, which I'm sure lots of you will know. It's a really great show. But they're going to be sharing stories of Irish women who saw their American dream become a nightmare. It's a really great interview. I can't wait to share that with you. So if you want to get that, make sure you've subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcast. Until then, Sloan. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.